Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, we are blessed that you joined us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here, here with uh, Pastor Frank Friedman, my friend. We're talking about suffering. Not a fun topic, but I think the last episode was pretty deep and pretty revealing. You wanted to begin today with a reference from Peter. So can you please start us off with that? Oh, John, in 1 Peter 4, verse 19, Peter references that when we suffer, we need to recognize that we're going through what the will of God is for our life. In other words, God would not have allowed this unless it was his will, which means there's purpose in it. And so the key of 1 Peter 4 is, therefore, since that's true, respond to the pain. Don't react against it. Well, at the end of the broadcast last time, I looked up 1 Peter 4.19 in the message version. And I really like this. He said, so if you find life difficult because you're doing what God said, take it in stride. Trust him. He knows what he's doing and he'll keep on doing it. You know, John, I, I can't help but think of that passage in Jeremiah 29 where God says, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I have thoughts of good for you, not evil. And I am working to bring you to an appointed end. In other words, the pain you're going through is not the end of the story. Amen. Well, friends, if you've gathered, we are talking about suffering, doing a deep dive for who knows how many episodes into what we can arguably say is probably a consuming issue in life for most of us, and that is suffering. So I invite you to check out our previous episode where we laid down some groundwork. And we began, Frank, if you recall, by talking about Jesus. And we referenced our foundational verse for our discussion about Jesus from Hebrews 5, verse 8. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And so I want to begin to look today a little more closely at our Savior's life and what exactly was the suffering that he experienced that the writer to the Hebrews talking about. And of course, our mind goes to Gethsemane, his trial, his crucifixion, his death. You know, those are uh, obvious high points of the suffering our Savior experienced in his earthly life. Some of us might look a little more deeply and look at the rejection from family, from friends, uh, from his hometown. But you can go back even earlier, Frank. Go back to Matthew 2, the death threats that his he and his family face and the resultant flight to Egypt. So even as a young baby, his life was just thrown in turmoil while they fled to Egypt to spare his life. We see a little bit about his life in Luke 4, where 
he visits the temple at Passover. And of course, woven throughout these early passages in scripture is the unstated, but in my mind, certainly present stigma of Mary being pregnant before her wedding. And this tends to follow people for years. So even from the very beginning before he was born, Mm. Frank, suffering and rejection uh, were hallmarks of the life of our Savior. So pretty grim picture if you want to look at it from an earthly perspective, isn't it? (laughs) You know, John, as I just listened to you, I have the thought that he caught it from all directions, which is exactly what happens to us. I mean, you could keep going. We could probably fill the rest of our time. He was misunderstood. He was misrepresented. You and I, we say to ourselves, well, wait a minute, if you only understand what I'm saying, we want to be understood. We could talk about broken trust. He built deep, intimate friendship with Judas, who betrayed him, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And you can bet the enemy was right there, so in the thought, oh, so that's all your life is worth? You know, John, we could go on and on and on. And I think the key here is to understand why the scriptures say we have a sympathetic high priest. He knew what it was like to be tempted. John, at the risk of sounding like I'm saying heresy, by becoming man, God was able to finally understand man and what it means to be man living in a fallen world as God even who knows all things, but God could never know death. We know that he's eternal life. God could never be tempted because his nature is perfect. But as man, God could be tempted. So our Jesus, whatever you're going through, he'll look at you and say, child, I get it. I understand. I've been there. So I know you're confused. You're frustrated. You're fearful. You're full of anxiety. You feel hopeless. You feel powerless. I get it. Come to me. Put your hand in mine. And I'll see to it that you're going to get through whatever you're going through, even if, and these are key words, you can't get over it. Powerful. Well said, my friend. Well, from that launching point, I want to focus our time uh, for the next few minutes looking at a single verse. And it's kind of a verse that nobody pays much attention to. It's Luke 2.52. And it says this, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, I'll tell you, my friend, you know that I'm a word geek. So I'm going to give you a word geek warning. When I first looked at the word increase, what I thought of was like a little plant, a little seedling that you give a tender fertilizer Mm. and water and just the right sunlight and it grows and gets bigger. But you know, that's not what this word increase means. It's the word prokopto. And it's from the root word kopto, which means to cut or to Mm. strike. And so prokopto, when, you know, Jesus prokoptoed in wisdom and stature, 
it pictures lengthening and shaping by a hammering. So the thought that came to my mind was like a metal worker, a craftsman who shapes and stretches metal into the final mm -hmm. shape it needs to be. And so when you think about this, the ideas, at least to me, of lengthening out by hammering, stretching to be the right shape, this is an odd way to describe Jesus' life. And then you get to the point of, well, he grew in favor with God and men. He prokoptoed in favor with God and men. I mean, how can God like him more? <laughs> you know, so mm. this whole process of hammering and shaping, Luke portrays plainly, but many times we miss it because it describes such an important really foundational aspect of how Jesus learned obedience. We talked about that last time. He learned to listen under his father, right? It's almost like Jesus was perfect, but he needed to be shaped to fulfill his role as Messiah. Now, I don't want to be heretical here, mm. but it's almost like God took a little bit of raw material, perfect raw material, and then shaped it for his precise purpose. Did I get that right? Or am I leading our listeners off trail here? Well, you know, when I listened to you, I couldn't help but think of Ephesians 2, where we are God's masterpiece. The Greek word there is poema, from which we get poem. But there are a lot of other masterpieces in our world, John. There are paintings that are masterpieces. But I think in the context of your words, there are sculptures that are masterpieces. And I've heard that, you know, a sculptor will get a block of stone and it's just a block. But as he chisels away and chisels away, he uncovers the masterpiece that was in that stone already, but had to be revealed through the chiseling away uh, to release that masterpiece that was already there. And I've heard that, you know, you ask a sculptor, how did you do that? He said, well, it was already there in the block in my mind. I just had to uncover it. And so I think that's a, a great analogy. I wouldn't find it heresy at all. It, it was simply the unveiling of a masterpiece man the Lord Jesus as the God-man uh, being unveiled through the circumstances of life so that as the masterpiece was unveiled, God, of course, says, I'm well pleased with my son, but the world looks at him and marvels. I think of when he was in the temple and they marveled at his teaching. And when he spoke, they marveled at how he spoke. And of course, the way he lived, they marveled at that too. So it's a great analogy, John, and a good word picture from the Greek. And I think that's a great thought for me to switch back to you. God loves speaking in pictures. And this was certainly a picture of the process of learning to listen to the Father's voice as we journey through with faith in a fallen world. You know, Frank, listening to you talk, I'm thinking about uh, some of the struggles and suffering that are currently in my own life. 
And uh, when I look at this verse and I understand what the words really mean, see how they applied in the life of my Savior. I look at my own life and go, okay, Father, what are you working on? Which piece of this marble block are you chiseling off now to bring out the more perfect expression of your character? Now, by the way, I might like that piece of block he's chiseling off. I'll be perfectly honest. I might like it there. I might think it looks good. But in his mind, it's not necessarily bad, but it's not the perfect expression of his life in me. And so when you look at your suffering, <laughs> when I look at my yeah. suffering through those lenses, it changes my perspective entirely that he's just, if you're a woodworker like I am, he's just sanding me, Frank. Mm. He's just getting the curves a little smoother. He's just sanding me. And so it does change our perspective, doesn't it? Oh, John, completely. It gives us confidence and hope that no matter what comes into our life, it's not random. It's purposeful. It's either God allowed it, which is something we need to come to grips with, or in fact, he might have caused it even. Uh, we do know in Isaiah 45, God says, I cause calamity, but it's never done to punish us or to devastate us in any way. It's always for correction, training and righteousness, uh, shaping us to fulfill our full potential as those who have the living God dwelling inside of them so that he can have the fullest expression of himself through them. And, you know, John's listening to you. I don't know if you want to go there yet, but I couldn't help but think of John 15, oh, where yeah. he prunes us. So I, I don't know if you want to go there now, but that's certainly well, another well, we corollary passage. We certainly can. Let's take just a moment to uh, to look at that. John 15, 2. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, I'm a plant guy, Frank. And <laughs> I understand the need to prune. And and listeners, if you've ever been to a vineyard or you've ever been to an apple orchard, a peach orchard, a pear orchard, a cherry orchard, and you go not in the springtime when the blossoms are out, not in the summertime when the fruit is filling, but you go in the winter and you see those pruning crews come through. And you look at the level of branches a foot of branches sometimes beneath some of these plants. It's like, my goodness, they butchered that tree. They cut almost everything off that grapevine. Oh, yeah. But that's not the case. Because if a vineyard owner or an orchard owner wants to bear fruit, you got to clip back branches because the plant will send most of its food to supporting leaves and won't bear fruit. So there's a method to the madness because the focus is bearing fruit. And so you got to keep the shoot growth controlled. So that's that's a one minute pruning lesson. <laughs> but let's dive in and look at this passage in John 15. It's funny because when I prune in our yard, 
Janet will come out very upset and say, you butchered it. And I'm saying, wait till next spring, honey, wait till next spring. But, you know, my mom lived in the wine country, John. And so we got to go and talk to vine dressers and watch how they did that. And it's interesting. William Hendrickson wrote a commentary on John and he personified it in the comedy. There's a wonderful thing he did. He played the part of the vine. And he talks in first person and he says, oh, it's such a wonderful sunny day. And and look at that fruit on my branches. And oh, here comes my master, my vine dresser. Oh, he's got his pruning shears. I'm so thankful for him. He's going to cut away all those dead branches that are robbing me of sunlight. And oh, there goes one. There goes another. Oh, wait a minute. What are you touching that branch for? It's It's got fruit on it. It's got a lot of fruit on it. No, you don't cut that one. Slice. Oh, <laughs> master, why did you do that? <laughs> if a plant could talk, it oh, sounds yeah. just like us, John. <laughs> yeah. You know, you are so right, my friend. And I think the key to looking past the surface experience, the surface suffering, is understanding what that word prune really means mm. it's the word kathiro you know as we talk about all the time i'm a word geek kathiro and that word means to cleanse mm. to purify so when you look at it from that perspective those vine dressers those orchard masters are purifying those plants taking away all the parts that will diminish fruit production, leaving only strongest, the healthiest, the ones, and here's the most important part, Frank, the ones that are most well connected to the vine. That's mm. what he will keep mm. to ensure fruit production. And so put in the context of our suffering, we all have dreams. You know, we teach our kids to have dreams as little children. What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, when you actually grow up, you realize that a lot of your dreams never really come to fruition. Mm. Some are horribly broken. You have desires to do things that never come to pass. And so we all face the struggle of broken dreams. But when we look at those through the lens of John 15, and we understand that what Father has allowed is an agent purification in our lives it does two things when i think of it first it makes you say father i trust you i must not have needed that even though i really wanted it and second what you're going to produce in me is so much better than i think i ever would have seen out of what you cut away so let's saddle up and do this sir so it gives mm. us a different way of looking at our suffering at least it does to me yeah. You know, uh, listening to you, John, it's that same mindset that Jesus had in the garden that you talked about. Okay, let's do this. Because now we know there's purpose and the purpose is good. I was listening to you, John, you said that Greek word in John 15. And you mentioned that Greek word in Luke 2, that both applied to Jesus, they sounded similar. Do they share the same root? Do you know? Or is that uh, something for that, more research? Not, no, I'll do more research, but not that I know of. At least hmm. not that has struck me in my quick and dirty 
of course, I've never been to seminary, and I've, mm. whatever Greek I learned, I just picked up Kabbal, and uh, Hebrew is of giant mystery fog to me. But I mm. do my very best with the tools that are available. But to my knowledge, they are not the same. I wonder if they function synonymous, you know, and even though they're different words, at least in terms of their purpose. Mm -hmm. Could well be, because uh, both yield a crafted product designed with a unique and fruitful end in mind. So from that perspective, they are similar. That's I guess beautiful. the part about our conversation, just about the branches, Frank, as we begin to wrap this up, the part that struck me is the way that Mr. Hendrickson personified the pruning of what he thought was a good branch. Yeah. And the way your wife, Janet, was aghast with, oh, don't cut that one off. That's my favorite. Yeah. We need to understand that when the pruner comes through, the branches he prunes off or she prunes off, they're not necessarily bad. Mm -hmm. It's not like if some suffering happens in our life, God is just whacking away some sinful behavior. No, that's not the case at all. Some of these branches are good. And if cultivated right, they too might bear fruit. But the vine dresser, the master knows which are the best ones to keep. And sometimes if you've been in the wine growing area of California, you've seen that there's not a whole lot left of those vines, except the main trunk and the strongest branches. And they will leave, they'll look for the little tiny buds, the strongest, most healthy buds that might even not be visible to a routine passerby. But when you know what to look for, you recognize those buds and you prune to foster the growth of those buds, which will form the shoots that will bear the most fruit. So it's really a matter of trusting the wisdom and perspective of the vine dresser to realize that what he's doing is going to be, in the end, the best result possible. And it gives our mm -hmm. suffering a totally different perspective, doesn't it, Frank? And I'll mm -hmm. let you wrap us up with that. Well, John, that's a good one to wrap up on, and it needs to be repeated. You know, when it's a bad branch, a, a, a dead branch, a fruitless proposition in our lives, we can understand those need to be cut away. But when it's a good branch, we're bearing fruit, and here he comes with those pruning shears. That can bother us. We could look at that and go, what are you doing, God? That was good. And we have to come to grips with this that our father loves us so much, he doesn't want to settle for good when there's the potential for best. And that's the perspective we need to keep in our mind because in terms of, we mentioned this phrase earlier, human logic is not necessarily holy logic. We think we need to keep the good that because it's good, that's human logic. Holy logic is saying, oh, you should see what I've got coming. It's even better. And so we have to have holy logic, which means we trust the character of the one who's sitting on the throne. Great study today, John. Thank it you is. for bringing it to us. Yes, Father, thank you for the pictures, the word pictures of hammering and shaping and pruning because they so clearly describe how you work in our lives when we consent, when we cooperate, when we step aside and say, as Jesus did, not my will, 
but yours. Wow, what a great thought. Friends, you've been listening to the podcast for Our Resolute Hope. And once again, we invite you to check out our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of resources there to point you to your life, Jesus Christ. Check out our social media platforms. As always, we remind you to uh, look at Facebook, Instagram. We've got lots of stuff there. Our YouTube channel, always growing. So like and subscribe, ring that bell. You won't miss any new installments that I post up there. We've got a few more coming soon. And funny, the next batch we're going to post is on abiding, Frank. So <laughs> a perfect timing. And as always, we close with this reminder from Hebrews 6 that we have, despite the ocean of suffering we might feel like we're in, that there's an anchor out there. And that anchor is for us, for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. Paul calls it a blessed hope. He reminds Titus, we got a blessed hope, son. So today and always, we want to remind our listeners that yes, we too have a blessed hope, a resolute hope. So today and always choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you and through you, as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.